The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to Proverbs chapter 28. And generally, you see all the verses up there. Uh, we're going to cover the second part of Proverbs 28 uh, next week. But Proverbs 28, I'm going to read verses 1 through 16 and then verse 28. Let's give our attention now to God's Word as He speaks to us. Proverbs chapter 28. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. When a land transgresses, it has many rulers, but with a man of understanding and knowledge, its stability will long continue. A poor man who oppresses the poor is a beating rain that leaves no food. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive against them. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. The one who keeps the law is a son with understanding, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. Whoever multiplies his wealth by interest and profit gathers it for him who is generous to the poor. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Whoever misleads the upright into an evil way will fall into his own pit, but the blameless will have a goodly inheritance. A rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. When the righteous triumph, there is great glory, but when the wicked rise, people hide themselves. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked ruler over a poor people. A ruler who lacks understanding is a cruel oppressor, but he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. In verse 28, when the wicked rise, people hide themselves, but when they perish, the righteous increase. This concludes the reading of God's holy word. May God now be pleased to add his blessing to it. The word oppression comes up a lot in our culture today, doesn't it? Kind of a hot-button topic. Uh, People will talk about being oppressed even though they live a relatively comfortable life. And yet, as often as we hear that word in our culture, we might be tempted to completely throw it out. But the Bible does speak, especially in the Proverbs, of oppression. To be oppressed is to have an unnecessary weight or burden that holds someone down in suffering and prevents them from prospering. But, as you will probably not be surprised, the way Scripture talks about oppression and the way our society talks about oppression is different. And so we're going to look at three persons who wickedly oppress, and they are self, society, superiors. So first, self. That is, you yourself are the reason for your oppression. In our culture today, this is never talked about. Now, of course, there's many reasons uh, other people do oppress other people. 
But in our culture, it is assumed that if anyone feels oppressed or afraid, it's always somebody else's fault. Whereas it very well could be the fault of the individual. We see that in verse 1 where it says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. So this is someone who flees even though no one is pursuing him. That is, they feel afraid. They feel threatened. They feel like they need to hide and be protected and run for cover even when there is no threat. Now there's certainly times of danger where there are threats from which we are to protect ourselves. We just read in the previous chapter, Proverbs 21.12, the prudent sees danger and hides himself. It is prudent. It is wise to hide yourself from danger. But that's not what this is talking about here. This verse, Proverbs 28.1, says that no one is pursuing this individual. This person has no legitimate threat, nothing to truly be afraid of. No one's out to get them. And yet this person is afraid. Why is this happening? Why this paranoia and fear? We get a clue when we see in our verse that this is something that the wicked do. The wicked are those who are characterized by living in sin, uh, who do not walk in the light, but who walk in darkness. And what comes with that is a guilty conscience. Sin and walking in darkness creates a guilty conscience. And that makes this person fearful. They, they live in fear of being exposed, of being found out. This is like Adam and Eve who are in the garden. And they're enjoying God's presence. They are naked and unashamed before one another. One another's presence is enjoyed. But then suddenly that all changes. Suddenly they want to hide from one another. They make fig leaves. And they run when God comes on the scene when He simply asks the question, Where are you? Why? Why suddenly the change? Well, the change comes from sin. When they fell into sin, now they have a guilty conscience and now the other person is a threat even though they're not raising up a knife. Yet they're making fig leaves. They are running for cover. Suddenly they saw each other as a threat from which they needed protection. And they needed protection from God. They also, as we see from the garden there. Before, others in God's presence was a blessing and delight. Now, suddenly, others are a threat. And it's because of sin. It's because of the conscience. We see now people are afraid of the light of being exposed. As Jesus says in John 3.20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. And this is part of living under the law. In Leviticus 26, 17 and 36 say that part of the curse of the law 
is that you are going to flee even though no one's pursuing you, which is exactly what we read here in Proverbs 28.1. It's a guilty conscience. That's why this person is afraid and wants to flee, wants to hide, wants to be protected from others even though there's no threat. But in our sin, we do not credit this fear to, to our sin and guilt, but rather to the other person. And again, keep in mind that this is where there's actually no threat. It's Proverbs 28.1. Fleeing when no one's pursuing them, not when there's a legitimate threat. But in our sin, we do not credit this fear to our sin and guilt, but rather to how others make us feel. It's, it's others who are responsible. Uh, we see this when God approached Adam. Where are you, Adam? And Adam says, I hid. Why? Because I'm guilty and sinful? Because I sinned against you, God, and I want to confess that? Is that what he said? No. I hid because you made me afraid. I heard you coming. It's your fault. I'm afraid because you were coming. However, the righteous, it says, are as bold as a lion. The lion truly is the king of the jungle. It has nothing to fear. And this is the way it is with the righteous. While they're not perfect, they know they're forgiven. They know they're cleansed. They know that they have a righteousness not of their own. And also, they have repented of sin. They're not walking in darkness. Therefore, they have nothing to hide or be afraid of. Yes, you're going to see sin in their life, but they have repented of it. And this really is the pathway out of fear. That is repentance, as verse 13 describes. It says, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes his sin will obtain mercy. When someone has a guilty conscience, it could be that they are struggling to believe the gospel. That they, they are seeking to obey Christ. They are seeking to walk in His ways, but they know they fall short. And so because of that, they know because of their ongoing sin that they're not measuring up. And the way out of that is to believe Christ, is to trust Him, though He's covered you. And we do struggle to believe that. That's one reason why there's a guilty conscience. The other reason could be because there's a failure to repent of sin. They are seeking to cover up and hide their shame like Adam and Eve did by making fig leaves in the garden. Uh, they are not coming to the light, but they are seeking to dwell in the shadows in order to avoid being exposed in case people find out who they truly are. However, this will not cause the person to prosper. They will not be happy or joyful. They will be weighed down with guilt and constantly feel like Everything is a burden. They will not have peaceful communion with the Lord, leading to very much fruit and gratitude to Him. They will be struggling. But this is because they're not dealing with their sin. They're, they're holding on to it. They're hiding it. However, the way out, is proverb, this proverb goes on to say, is to confess it and to forsake it. To confess means to agree with God about your sin. Yes, it's hideous. It's evil. It's the way of death. 
And so you come to the Lord in prayer and confess it to Him. And it's not merely just being honest, like, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. It's also to forsake it, as this proverb goes on to say. That is, you want to turn from it, and so you call out to God to deliver you from it. And by His grace, you seek to turn from it. And this one is said to receive mercy. This does not mean that you merit Christ's mercy by your repentance. Rather, this is saying that God is pleased to dispense His mercy to sinners. He is pleased to dispense His mercy to those who have recognized their sin and turned from it and turned to the Lord. It's a promise that God will not withhold mercy to you if you come to Him and ask, even not only as an unbeliever, but even as believers, as we struggle, as we fall into sin, as we need to turn from it. One of the reasons we don't want to turn from sin is we don't believe God will be merciful. Uh, God doesn't want to hear from me again. I screwed up again. Uh, I've really blown it this time. I keep struggling with this sin. I think God's mercy has ran out. That is not the case. It says here you will receive mercy. You will not be sent away. You will be forgiven. You will be cleansed in your conscience. And you will receive the Lord's help. And so we don't hang on to our sin. We don't hide it. We don't conceal it. We will not prosper that way. Rather, we turn from it. We forsake it. We turn to the Lord in faith and repentance. Verse 9, on the, on the other hand, says, If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Now this is not saying you have to have a certain level of righteousness or maintain a certain level of righteousness in order to be heard by the Lord. Rather, what this is referring to, this person who turns his ear away from the Lord, is a person who's just rejected God's instruction, rejected his word, not interested in hearing it. Not someone who's struggling, who wants to grasp it, who wants to believe it, who needs help, but rather someone says, I don't care, forget God's word. And yet this person still has some exercise of religion where they pray. Perhaps they're praying for God to remove the difficulty in their life. They are tired of just going through difficulty and they, the only relationship they really have with the Lord is just deliver me from my bad life while still hanging on to their sin and rejecting His Word. It's kind of like that, that meme you see floating around. I'm not sure if you've seen this. There's, like, there's a person riding a bicycle. And they have a stick. And as they're on the bicycle, they stick it in the spokes of the, the wheel and they fall off and say, what happened? Well, that's kind of the way it is here. The person is rejecting God's Word. Their life's miserable, surprise, surprise, and they're praying to God, why is this happening? To me. All the while, they're actually praising the wicked. Look at verse 4. It says, Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive against them. And this makes sense. Those who don't love God's holy, righteous law and instruction are going to value the wicked. Those who reject righteousness love those who do the same. And so they praise the wicked, maybe not so much out loud, but certainly in their hearts. They're drawn to the wicked. They envy their life. I wish I could be like that person. 
Maybe they complain about the church and complain about the righteous. All the while envying the wicked. But those who keep God's law and instructions strive against the wicked. Now this doesn't mean that they're actively engaged in conflict and fighting that they started out of sin. Rather, because those who keep God's law are going against the grain of this world, you're going to be having conflict. You're going to be at odds with those who are of this world. As Jesus said, he came to bring a sword. So there's going to be divisions even among households on the basis of the truth in God's word. The world will hate us, Jesus says. Now, I had a co-elder in Montana when I was uh, serving there who came to Lord's Day convictions, believed, no, I, I, I need to keep the Lord's Day. And after he came to those convictions, he <clears throat> went away to visit family for the weekend. And on Sunday morning, he got his family up and they went to church. And he said he got so much heat from this extended family he was staying with over that. What do you mean you're going to church? We got plans today. You're ruining our plans. Who are you to ruin our plans? We got family activities and you're going to church? And it started a big fight. Now, my co-elder did not get out and start yelling at them and get into a fight with him. He just wanted to obey the Lord and go to church. And it created a great conflict. He tried to, he was keeping the law and found himself striving against those who don't. But nevertheless, we read in verse 14, blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Uh, this literally says in the Hebrew, blessed is the one who greatly dreads continually. And it does not say the Lord in the original. However, it makes best sense that this would be the Lord who this person fears. Because what or who are we to be in dread of continually that leads to blessedness? Obviously, it, it makes sense that it is the Lord. And just because someone's going through a difficult time in their life doesn't mean that it's because of uh, sin. It could be, but it doesn't necessarily mean because of sin. It could be because they're obeying the Lord. And they're going through difficulty. Nevertheless, they have a happiness. They are, they are blessed because they fear the Lord. And this fear of the Lord is not this slavish fear of His judgment. That actually causes us to withdraw from the Lord. And it leads to Proverbs 28.1 where they're fleeing even though there's no immediate threat. Rather, the fear of the Lord which is the beginning of wisdom, is to stand in awe of Him. Take your breath away is kind of the way we put it. He is so great. He is so awesome. There is none like Him that we stand in awe of this God. And not only that, this God who has no beginning and has no end, who's the great I Am, sent His only begotten Son to be crushed For our sin, God had every right to crush us, and He would be just in doing that. And all the angels in heaven would be glorifying Him for judging sinners. And yet, God assumes our flesh and blood to stand in our place to be crushed so that we would forever live. Does that not take your breath away? 
What kind of God is this who forgives transgression, sin, and iniquity? Oh, to, to see His glory, to see and to embrace in our hearts the great value of who this God is, that makes somebody happy and blessed no matter what is going on in their life. And so this is how we are not oppressed by our own sin and folly, but are instead happy and blessed in the Lord. Now, a second type of person who wickedly, uh, who wickedly oppresses is society or members of society. These next two points are going to go much quick, much more quickly. Verse 3, a poor man who oppresses the poor is a beating rain that leaves no food. Now, in Marxist philosophy, which is pretty much well embraced in our society, a poor person really can't be an oppressor. Now, this is because your economic status is your identity. And by virtue of that, uh, you're either an oppressor or you are the oppressed. And so a poor person, by definition in this philosophy, is oppressed and can't be an oppressor. However, we read here in Scripture that it is sin that makes you an oppressor. Hence, a poor man can be an oppressor of another poor man. You can take advantage of him. You can rob him. You can physically harm him. But this is like a beating rain that leaves no food. Like a severe thunderstorm, this beating rain. Not sure if you've ever driven through the plane seats after a severe thunderstorm and seen some of the corn just flattened. Uh, that is what is in view here. And the person may think that, well, I have nothing to lose because I'm poor. Uh, it still will end up causing more damage for both him and the one he oppresses. And in line with this, we see in verse 5, evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. And this is not to say there's absolutely, absolutely no understanding of justice, but a wicked person will certainly pervert justice. Even though they claim to understand justice, it's only those who seek the Lord, only those who know the Lord, who truly understand what is righteous and just. And so verse 7 says, that The one who keeps the law is a son with understanding, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. So we see the difficulty that comes even from one son. A son who keeps... God's law, His instructions, the Proverbs here, even. That is a wise son. That is one who has understanding. Somebody who follows God's instruction has understanding. This is in contrast to those who are gluttons, who overindulge, who live for the pleasures of this world, who take but do not contribute. This brings shame to the father and the family name. In verse 10, Whoever misleads the upright in, into an evil way will fall into his own pit, but the blameless will have a goodly inheritance. So wicked men tempt the upright to forsake the way of righteousness. We saw Satan do this with Jesus. Tempted Jesus, and he does the same with his followers. But they are the ones that will end up falling in their own pit. They are the ones that will be destroyed. They are the ones who will face judgment, whereas the righteous will receive a goodly inheritance, which is ultimately heaven. So we see oppressors are those who try to lead others down an evil path, even if they claim it's for a good cause. 
A third and final person who wickedly oppresses is, of course, rulers. Look at verse 2. When the land transgresses, it has many rulers, but with a man of understanding and knowledge, its stability will long continue. So this is describing anarchy, where everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And when things descend into anarchy, it's because the land has been transgression. That is, it's just filled with transgression. It's descended far into sin. And the result is you have a bunch of unruly people. You have a bunch of rulers who are fighting and competing for authority. But all it takes is one man of understanding to bring continued stability. One man of understanding, its stability will long continue. This is how powerful and valuable wisdom is. That even one man with it can bring long-lasting stability even to an entire nation. Shows the value of wisdom. We should seek it. And we see the opposite when wisdom is lacking. Look at verse 16. A ruler who lacks understanding is a cruel oppressor. But he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. So again, we see the difference between a ruler who brings enduring stability and a leader who cruelly oppresses. The pivot point is whether or not they have wisdom and understanding. Wisdom knows and receives God's instruction and knows how to imply His righteous instruction. He knows that He's a servant. He doesn't show partiality. A ruler without wisdom, on the other hand, is a cruel oppressor by default. And given what the verse goes on to say, he also loves unjust gain. He he does it all for himself or his reputation. And what is a cruel oppressor like? Well, verse 15, like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked ruler over a poor people. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I can probably guess how many people would raise their hand. How many of you would like to go out in the wilderness and be charged by a bear? Yeah, I didn't think so. Uh, is you raising your hand? Um, no. Uh, no, we all hope this never happens. But that is the way a cruel oppressor is like. Someone who, who it doesn't need to be a leader of a nation, it could be a leader of, of any people. If he does not have wisdom, this is the way he is like. He devours people. And this is why verse 12 says, When the righteous triumph, there is great glory. But when the wicked rise, people hide themselves. And verse 28 essentially says the same thing. When someone is honorable and righteous and seeks God's word and seeks his wisdom, he does what is right and best for people under him. It's not merely, but when the wicked rise up, then people hide themselves. And it's not merely fleeing for one's safety, but, but living a secret lives. And I talked to a, a friend of mine who uh, lives in uh, Cuba, in communist Cuba, uh, where the government will take a large percentage of people, people's harvest and milk. And so what people end up doing is they end up lying all the time about how much they're actually producing so they can keep more for themselves, just so they could uh, feed their families. 
He'll describe to me there's a lot of dishonesty, there's a lot of cheating, there's a lot of under-the-table stuff. Everything uh, becomes illegal, so nothing gets enforced is essentially uh, what happens. And so even when there's wickedness, people tend to hide. People tend to hide in darkness. But as verse 28 says, uh, when the wicked perish, then the righteous increase. Righteousness increases. But thanks be to God that no matter what government we're living under, we do not have an oppressive ultimate ruler, but one who is wisdom itself. The King of kings and Lord of lords, our ruler and master, the Lord Jesus Christ, does not oppress us in any way and never will. Even when we're going through hardship, uh, even when difficulty happens, and he's in control of that. He is not doing it for our harm, but he's doing it for our good. We need to not think that just when things are going well and we're and, and life circumstances are well, that God is for us. And then when life circumstances do not go well, that he's not for us. Rather, God uses even the difficulties in our life. For our good. That's the amazing thing about our God. The, the way, as Spurgeon says, I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock. Because it is those trials and difficulties that cause us to lean all the more on God and to draw near to Him. In fact, our Lord, He assumed human nature in order to be oppressed in our place. He was oppressed by our sin when it was placed on Him, and He bore that awful curse on the cross for us. He was oppressed by the society of His own people who rejected Him and shouted, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! He was oppressed by the rulers who stirred up the crowd against Him and had Pontius Pilate deliver Him over to death. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. We confess But He did this for us to free us from the curse and oppression of our sin and to bring us into a new world where there will never, ever be oppression again. What other ruler is there who not only doesn't oppress His people, but stands oppressed for His people, crushed under the law for our sin? And so may this love of our ruler cause us to confess our sin, to forsake our sin, and to joyfully live according to His good and blessed law in seeking not to oppress, but to serve and benefit others. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask for this. Uh, We, in our sin, oppress others. And in our sin, we are responsible for our own oppression. But because of Christ's oppression for us, we do not need to be any longer oppressed by our own sin. Sin shall no longer be master over you, for you are not under the laws and covenant of works, but under grace. We're thankful for that. We're thankful for our leader and our ruler, our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to emulate Him. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.
You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.